Hello everyone and welcome to our latest podcast. My name's Nicola Wake and it's lovely to welcome you if this is the first podcast that you're listening to or if you've listened to any of the others. This is a little series that we're doing where we're talking about making clinical decisions and I'm delighted to be joined today by Stuart Bond, consultant antimicrobial pharmacist at the Mid-Yorkshire Hospitals NHS Trust. Stuart, thanks a million for giving us your time today to share your experience of a decision you've made in perhaps a complex clinical situation and your reflections and learning. Thanks for having me, Nicola. Great. Well, let's jump straight into it. Um, can you give our listeners just a brief overview of the decision that you were facing? Okay, Nicola, yeah, so I've um, been involved in a case over the last 12 months or so, which is quite a complex hospital case, but but has some uh, interesting learning points from it that I think would be of value to the audience, which is that we're, we're looking at, we're still currently treating a patient um, on our home intravenous antibiotic books, and uh, he's a patient who has a, an aortic graft infection, and it's got a resistant organism, so it's... Um, He's living a living example of an antimicrobial resistant infection, um, and he's on intravenous antibiotics at home, but he can't have surgery to fix the infection, and so we're stuck with intravenous antibiotics because there aren't any oral options. So, very tricky case to deal with, um, and I thought we could probably go through a few bits and pieces that, that I've learned from this case so far. Yep, definitely. I mean, that would reflect back with with any sort of patient on a on a long-term condition where perhaps yeah. the ideal option isn't isn't an option for that patient in that case so yeah That's so right. tell us a little bit about some of the uh, decisions you've been through yeah well the background is that we've got people helping to make decisions for this patient including the patient himself and his wife as well and that involves the tertiary care infectious diseases team the tertiary care vascular surgery team and then within my hospital we've also got the vascular surgery team involved the uh, pharmacy team who coordinates the home intravenous antibiotic service and we've also got the home intravenous antibiotic service nurses themselves as well who are involved as well as the team from the tertiary center as well so we've got five or six different professional groups as well as the patient and his wife who are all all coming together to help work out what the best um, situation, it, what the best we can make for, for this patient's care. So a very so, complicated um, c combination of different um, decision makers, I suppose. And and I assume also a lot of different thoughts and opinions to come to, uh, to, come to right. some form of compromise together yeah. from the patient's perspective. Yes. So we're working, we're working backwards from how can we provide um, this patient with the best uh, experience and quality of life. Um, knowing that we're using the antibiotics in the form of suppression, so we know we're not going to be able to cure the infection. However, we might be able to treat for some length of time, even with the home intravenous antibiotic service um, supporting that. Yeah. So um, is there a specific part of this, Stuart, where we might be able to unpick something around perhaps I guess even thinking about this case, is there a area we've been working outside that your normal evidence base where you're looking at sort yeah. of where that bit, trying to turn, we, we talk about turning data and information into decisions, don't we? And if there's yeah. not as much information, that's right. Be challenging. 
So in this case, we were treating a pseudomonas infection and the traditional antibiotics that we'd been using were failing. So the infection was breaking through the, the, the treatment courses of antibiotics or coming back quite quickly. So the decision in the end made by the Infectious Diseases Service was to use two, two antibiotics at the same time, both intravenous at home. Um, and those were keftazidine and amikacin. Those are the antibiotics that we've been using. The amikacin is the, the one that's really been quite interesting because that can, over a longer period of time, even with the correct dosing, start to cause harm to, to the patient involving hearing loss and potential problems with balance. And indeed that has happened over time is that we have started to affect the patient's hearing. And so for a period of time there, we were, we were continuing with that antibiotic with the full knowledge that we may be um, affecting the patient's hearing. We've since changed the antibiotic because that benefit and risk balance has, has changed a little bit. However, the, there's a decision there, isn't there, around what what are the what is the best thing for the patient, and it, in some cases it may be to continue the treatment in spite of the fact that you know that it might be causing some side effects. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. You mentioned benefit and risk, um, and I think that that's yeah. the interesting thing, isn't it? Actually, we as particularly as pharmacists, well, we don't want to cause harm. We know all medicines have side effects, but we really don't want to be um, doing that. And that must have been. I mean, yourself, how did you feel in yourself about knowing that the antibiotic that, as you say, was a, a perhaps a team decision could could lead to quite serious side effects for this patient? How did you how did you manage that in your own mind? Yeah, well, I think in, in terms of what I've taken away from this so far, it's just that we need to ensure that all of those people involved in the process are communicating regularly on a yeah. you know, weekly, even daily sometimes basis so that we're we're comfortable that everyone is at the same level uh, when it comes to that decision and that includes obviously the patient and his, his carer so making sure that there is there is some knowledge that we may be causing a side effect but to, to be sure that we're still on the right track for that patient and with the fact that we don't have a very good evidence base for this particular treatment it's making sure that with the lack of evidence that we take everyone's opinions into account including the pragmatic uh, aspects of, of treatment around how the medicine gets to the patient's home, how that's administered. There's a component of self-administration as well, so some training that's being required for um, for the patient in, in his home as well, and just making sure that everyone's really up to speed and then, and then making sure that we write that all down very, very carefully as well, so just really, really good documentation as well um, is one of the other things that I've taken away from that. Yes, I think actually I, I'm hearing three things that, that you've brought out just in, in, in that simple sort of paragraph there. The word pragmatism. Absolutely. I, yeah. I think that that's. Do you find perhaps that that's something that we in pharmacy maybe find a little bit more difficult? Are we more on the side of perfectionism than pragmatism? I think I think many of my pharmacy colleagues would acknowledge that they're quite black and white in their thinking, Nicola. Mm. And it's just understanding that in, in some cases in with, with um, treating certain conditions that are maybe on the edge of the evidence base that we need to be willing to uh, go into those grey areas a little bit and, and work out how the best way is to navigate that. Um, and in this case, it comes back to meeting regularly, in, in involving the patient in every step of the decision-making process, um, collaborating across two or three different um, clinical areas, and also writing it all down and being careful around, around um, pr protecting yourself as a, as a health professional as well.
Yeah, I think I think th th those are definitely the other two things I was thinking about. One was documenting because actually we're making. Yeah. I think we make decisions with the information we have at the time, and it's therefore important to document what the thought processes were and what we were working with at that point, because yeah. there might be more information comes to light further down a patient's journey that, as you say, then changes your decision. But That's actually right. what's really important at the time to be able to say yes and to keep an accurate record, because this does sound like a complex case. I think yeah. the other thing that really struck me and has really struck me about this particular um, case is the patient's involvement with this. Mm, yeah. Uh, that that involvement about actually, we often think, I guess, uh, my background's predominantly been secondary care and that so antibiotics are administered by, by the team on the ward to yeah. the patient, whereas mm. we, you've got a situation where the patient is at home self-administering and an injectable medicine That's and right. the real they were I'm, I'm sure will have had some real opinions on what 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 mattered to them about their treatment yeah yeah absolutely and, and it's working out well what what is important to the patient at this point um in his healthcare journey and that may be um the ability to be somewhat flexible around travel for instance so being able to go to the seaside for the day or whatever that thing is that the that the patient might want and taking that into account as equally important to, let's say, the antibiotic treatment regimen. Yes, yeah, I, I absolutely, because you say that's that that can often help you move, particularly in one direction, down a treatment treatment option, which might not mm -hmm. be what we feel is important, but absolutely is important to the patient in that in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you had any reflections on. I think you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that this has been a sort of almost a year long yeah. um, involvement. Any reflections on any learning and growth that you've had just literally over the last year with this? Yeah, I think it, um, the one thing that, that I've really taken away from this is just to um, reflect upon my own level of comfort with risk. A any antibiotic prescribing decision is a, is a risk benefit decision and generally people who have more experience tend to become a little bit more comfortable with the, the risk benefit um, of, of those decisions. And that can sometimes result in, um, uh, in, in the case of antibiotic prescribing, comfort risk with risk is generally associated with less antibiotic prescribing and narrower spectrum antibiotic prescribing. Um, in this case, it's a bit more complicated, but it's just with, with the consultant practice, it's, it's working out how to sit comfortably with with a level of risk without all of the information it's a classic a classic, classic interview question isn't it how do you make a good decision without all of the available information absolutely um and say so my background's medication safety so i i love a bit of risk i love understanding yeah. that and debating it and likelihood and consequence and so i really relate to that so when you're living with a level of risk Stuart. Yeah. Have you got thoughts around, I would often think about how I would mitigate that risk. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you went through with this patient is the if then so we will do, you know, that kind yeah. of, I, I, yeah, my family hate my, well, my plan B, C and D are. Yeah. So it's, it's very much um, involving the, the patient in that decision making process around risk. It's also doing the basic pharmacy things right. 
So in the case of amikacin, that's a drug that requires therapeutic drug monitoring. So it's making sure that um, if we're giving a, a drug that we know needs monitoring, that we keep those levels uh, in appropriate ranges. And so it's, it's making sure that we get the, the dosing, the administration, um, and the supply, all of those basics really spot on. And, and I'm lucky to have had a team around me that's been really great at making sure that's happened. And then when it comes to those more complex decision components, it's making sure that you have the sufficient level of support at a senior level um, in, involving my director of pharmacy and um, high, higher levels of um, governance support within the organisation just to make sure that we're doing the right thing by patient. Actually, yes, again, and lots in that, but definitely, yeah. um, yes, I think I particularly liked you talked about having your kind of picking out the, the, the issues. And I think this is what pharmacists are really good at bringing to, as you say, we're it's sort of a, it is often a multidisciplinary management of a patient, whether we're in primary care or secondary care. But that ability for us to say this this is the thing we need to get right. In the case you're describing, you're saying, amicacin, yeah. this is what we need to get right. Yeah, yeah. And we bring that, I think, when it comes to drugs. And being a pharmacist and having that knowledge, I think that whatever your experience of decision-making is, actually, to know that you can say, this is what matters and why it matters, it will bring value to a conversation. Yeah, and, and certainly we've we've... Um, it's been evident that we've had a, a, a healthy MDT, a healthy multi, multidisciplinary team in this case where everyone's opinions are valued, um, you know, including pharmacy, patient, nursing team, medical team, um, just to make sure that uh, all of those opinions are valued. I think that's been something that's been a reflection of mine over the last year as well in, in this case. Yes. I mean, that in itself is, is an interesting point because... Um, uh, we're we're this we're aiming these podcasts a lot of them towards our colleagues in primary care who perhaps haven't yet established that that multidisciplinary team. So I think just even just bringing that up to say that we don't do anything in isolation, do we? Whilst we might not be at this time making a very complex decision or or inputting to the support and care of a patient with a complex medical condition actually it's important to be building our relationships managing you know getting involved in our networks so yeah. when we need them they're there absolutely and it's just trust, trusting your own judgment in, in pharmacy practice as well if, if something doesn't feel right when you're looking over a, a clinical case or, or a medication history then Trust, trust that judgment because there's probably a reason that it doesn't feel right and, and, and rather than just keeping it to yourself, it's, you know, something to be shared. Yes, I'm, I must admit, one of my, my favourite questions is to somebody is, let me tell you this, what have I missed? It's that knowing who to phone a friend and that friend doesn't even necessarily need to be an expert in your area. It's just that, as you say, who else is going to help you with that gut reaction of, That's of right. that? Yeah. Stuart, that's been really interesting relating to that case. I'd just like to look at one other little aspect of decision making. I mean, as a consultant pharmacist, you've reached a stage in your career where you've had a lot of experience with making decisions. You're probably very confident in kind of, well, you described the being more comfortable with a, with a level yeah. of risk, as yeah. you say, where there's no clear answers. So for colleagues that are starting out in practice or those who are perhaps working as individual practitioners, we've talked a little bit about 
your growth um, over the last year. But can you maybe share a bit about how you've developed throughout your career to become more comfortable with handling decision making like this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's keeping to um, when it comes to clinical decisions where, where it's possible to be basing your decision upon a guideline uh, of some kind or an, or an evidence base if necessary. Yeah. It's having those abilities to critically appraise, uh, let's say, a guideline and understand that not always will um, a patient case fall within what's required of the guidelines. And then being quite good at just having a read of further the things that the guidelines are made from, you know, the, the, the empiric evidence base. I think it's that curiosity uh, that can come from clinical practice. I'm learning every day. You know, I'm still learning every day in my practice and it's that willingness to um, just make sure that you know how to read and interpret and be sceptical of, of information. That's yeah, that's really interesting. That's not something that has come up yet in any of a sort of our discussions around this topic. But yeah, being curious and being sceptical and asking questions, which we as with our scientific background are good at doing. That's, that's the right. strength of pharmacists to not take not take what's written down as as the gospel truth then and there with it. Yeah, thank you. That's that's really valuable. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about this that we might have? Yeah, what have I missed in this conversation, Stuart, before I move on to uh, to my final question for you? No, Nicola, I think it's been a good reflection for me. Um, you know, this is one that's taken up a, a bit of brain power to work out what what is the best thing that we can be doing. And it's just bringing back your decision to what's the best thing that we can do for the patient and, and to bring that compassion, um, you know, to, to understand, okay, we're doing things that are a bit unusual here, but but what is the end goal? And, and just reminding ourselves of what we're, what we're trying to do, which is to make sure that we're um, looking after the patient as well as we can. And, and yeah, just that reminder that when you are making decisions, just own those decisions and write them down. You know, that's, that's a, a, an important part of pharmacy practice that I think we could do better at, um, generally speaking, is, is that really good solid documentation and, and just to be to, to take accountability and responsibility for those decisions. Thank you, Stuart. I mean, that was going to be my last question is what's your take home message? And and you've given us a few there, but absolutely, yeah. I would agree. And things that we can all be improving on and learning from in our practice, no matter what state we're at. So uh, I'd just like to say thank you, Stuart, so much for sharing your experience and your expertise with us um, on behalf of SPS and those that are listening today. I'd like to thank Thanks my friends. Your pharmacy, our pharmacy colleagues and friends who have listened to the podcast today, which we hope has been useful to your practice. So do get in touch with us. You can do that via the SPS website. If you've um, got some feedback on the topic around clinical decision making on the how we do our podcasts, or perhaps you've got a clinical decision that you'd like to uh, uh, share with people, um, you'd be very welcome to be part of our podcast series. Um, so I guess all that remains for me is um, thanks again, Stuart, and thank you to the admin team who have made this WebEx run and have uh, recorded it and done all the magic behind the scenes for us. And uh, bye bye for now.